0: Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Feeling, feeling good? A little more rested. That extra hour feel pretty good, doesn't it? Well, uh, welcome everybody. And if you're a guest with us first time, we're we're especially thrilled to have you. We're we're wrapping up a series called "Poison Killing What's Killing You," and uh, I've enjoyed this one. I wish it would keep going, because we're talking about something that we probably don't think about—an area of our life that we probably don't talk about very often. In that area. Is our, is our heart. And the reason we're talking about the heart is because Jesus had so much to say about it. Jesus said that all of life flows from your, your heart. You, you live from your heart. You work from your heart. You parent from your heart. You date and marry from your, your heart. You live from your heart. We began the series, we looked at the scripture from Matthew 15 that's really the basis of this series. We, we built the series off of this where Jesus gives this list of things... That come from your heart, and notice one of these things is theft. the reason theft comes from your heart is because it 's often driven by greed, and greed is a heart issue greed 's like this poison that gets in our heart, and we may not even know it 's there it 's kind of like the poison of pride that we talked about last week. We can see it in other people in a second we can 't see it in the mirror, and so very few people admit to. Greed. Now, some of us would say, well, yeah, I could be more uh, generous, but I've never had anybody say, you know, my big problem is I'm just way too greedy. One reason I think it's hard to see is because it tends to camouflage as a virtue. And so we'll say things like, well, I'm just frugal. Or, you know, I just want to be able to take care of myself. I want to have enough so that I don't have to depend on other, other other people. Or, you know, I just want to be careful with my stuff. I don't want anything to get scratched or dented. And so greed masquerades as this uh, positive virtue in our, in, our, in our lives. And so it's hard to identify. And so maybe this will help us work with me on this, all right? I think we can divide everybody into two groups, okay? I think all people really fall in two uh, categories. You're either a saver or a spender. Some of you would probably say that you're more of a, of a saver. And if you're a saver, you know, you spend as little as possible because you want to save as much as you, as you can. You love to find a good investment. Savings just has a way of feeling, making you feel a little more confident and secure about the uh, future. Show of hands, how many of you would say that you tend to be uh, that way? You tend to be more of a, of a saver. How many savers do we have? We've got quite a few. All right. And then some of you would say you're more of a spender, you know. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you like to enjoy life. And uh, go shopping and buy things. You know, I mean, you understand that money was meant uh, to be spent. And uh, show of hands, some of you would say you're more of a spender? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's about 50-50, it looks like. Maybe some of you have heard of Dave Ramsey. He founded the Financial Peace University class. Maybe you've seen him on TV. He doesn't call them savers and spenders. He calls them nerds and free spirits. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't really, I wouldn't want to be referred to as a nerd. Or a free spirit. and So I'm just going to stick with saver or or spender. And those of us that are savers, you know, we love, you know, to save money. Uh, When you have to spend money, you'll go to Kohl's, you know, because it's always lowest prices of the season. You know, anytime you're there, lowest prices of the season. And uh, for groceries, you know, you love Aldi's, you know, who cares how it tastes. Um, (laughs) But really the main thing is that uh, you love to save more. You know, put some away for a rainy day. It just has a way of making you feel secure. Spenders, you know, we live by the motto, you know, why put off until tomorrow the fun that I can have today by buying some stuff. Uh, Spenders, you like to buy stuff. You know how it works, right? You know, I'm having a bad day, go buy something. You know, I'm having a good day, let's go buy something. You know, I'm bored, don't know what to do, you know, go buy something, all right? Buying things just brings us... Uh, pleasure. Now, if you're more of a saver, okay, you're probably thinking of somebody right now that you wish that they would just lose their credit cards and forget their Amazon password. And if you're a spender, somebody you're probably thinking of somebody that you, know, you think just worries way too much about uh, money. But the one consistent universal truth for, for both savers and spenders, ultimately, you always marry the opposite. Yeah, just always kind of works out that way, but here's my new aha, see what you think about this, okay? Savers and spenders, they're basically the same. Savers and spenders, I mean, whether you're frugal as Dave Ramsey or you're as free spending as the Kardashians in Beverly Hills, savers and spenders both have the same desire, okay? And that's a desire for more. See, if you're a saver, you put money in the bank, you put money in your portfolio because you want more later in life, okay? Okay. And if you're a spender, you know, you want to have more, uh, but you want to have more right now, okay? Spend now, worry later, and in doing so, you feel like you've got more of a life right now. So one's about more later, and the other about more right now. But either way, for savers and spenders, it's about having more. I came across a video uh, of an experiment involving two monkeys. Maybe some of you have seen this. It's very popular. Here's what they did. They took two monkeys. They gave the first monkey a piece of cucumber, he eats it and he seems happy and content. But then they gave the second monkey a grape. And uh, take a look. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it, the other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <coughs> yeah, there's a little bit of that monkey inside all of us, isn't there? You know, whether you're you know, a, a spender and you want more right now, or a saver and you want more later on. This desire for more can poison our hearts with greed. And, you know, that may not seem, you know, that bad because greed tends to be one of the more socially acceptable uh, sins. But something we may not realize is the effect that greed can have on our hearts and on our relationships. Here's what greed does. It makes relationships shallow. We look at relationships through the lens of how can this person benefit me? How can this other person upgrade my lifestyle? And sometimes we hurt people's feelings And alienate them for the sake of acquiring more stuff or protecting our stuff. And so we say, you know, don't sit there, you know, don't scratch that. People feel like they've got to compete with our stuff. Our spouse begins to wonder, you know, what if I don't get that promotion? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if we lose the house? What then? What happens to our our relationship? Is my spouse going to stay with me? Our kids begin to feel like they've got to compete with our stuff. A friend of mine tells a story about this family in the small town where he grew up. This man restored this this beautiful car, this roadster, this hot rod, and it was very special to him. I mean, it was like a kid, like a child uh, to him. It It was just so beautiful. But he had this teenage son who took it out one night for a drive without permission, and he ended up wrecking the car. And uh, because he wrecked the car, he felt distraught, and he began to imagine, what is my dad going to say to me? How is my dad going to react? He became so distraught, he ended up taking his own life. And the dad learns about this from the police, and he's trying to deal with it, and he tells the police officer, he said, I don't know if I ever made it clear that my son was more important than the car. See, that's how greed affects relationships. It makes them shallow. People, especially those closest to us, feel devalued. And it can happen to a a, a saver uh, who's protecting their stuff or a spender who's trying to acquire more stuff. But what if there's a third option? What if it's not just saving or spending? What if there's another way and it leads to real life? I wanna read a story to you that I've just come to love but more importantly, Jesus found it so compelling that he said people would tell this story for centuries. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 26. Here's what he says. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of of her. Question for you, was this woman a saver or a spender? What do you think? I'd say neither. I think she created a new category. And and to get what I mean, here's some important backstory, okay? It says that, for starters, it says that she took a bottle of perfume and broke it open and uh, and, and poured it on Jesus. And we think of uh, maybe some Chanel, you know, or whatever's pricey these days. Maybe it cost her a hundred bucks. But that's not the deal here. Bible scholars tell us that back then, People would buy perfume as a form of investment, okay? Like we buy stocks and bonds. And this perfume cost this woman the equivalent of a year's wages. And so she pours out a bottle of perfume that, that, that might have been her retirement savings on Jesus. Now, what do you think of that? Savers? What do you think? Spenders? What do you think? Either way, you're, you're probably a little bit horrified, and so it's not re- surprising how the disciples respond. See, if you're a spender, you might be thinking, you know, sure, you know, break open the, the, the bottle, enjoy it while you can. But don't put it all on, on Jesus. Put a little on him. You know, make him smell good. That was the custom back then for a guest of honor to make him feel welcome at a dinner party. But don't put it all on him. Use some of it for yourself or, or maybe get something that you've always wanted. Or if you're a saver you're thinking this woman is nuts you know what's going to happen to her when she gets older she's broke she's blown her life's savings I mean dab a little on him if you if you want to but don't be don't be crazy but for the woman in the story she's not a saver she's not a spender she's different she's a giver she discovered that you don't have to save more to have more. You don't have to spend more to have more. It's actually through giving more that we experience more life. You know, I, I used to feel uncomfortable talking about money and generosity in church. And uh, I would delegate, try to delegate these messages to other guys. And and that was because I used to categorize people as either savers or spenders. And I always felt like I was, you know, raining on the parade for for spenders and ruining the future for for, for savers. But that changed for me when I discovered, and I really uh, believe, that this third category of of generosity not only treats the greed poisoning in our heart, it's really the, the best and most satisfying way to live. So, what do you think caused her to behave this way? What do you think drove and guided her generosity? Now, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if maybe she heard this teaching from Jesus recorded earlier by Matthew. It's found in Matthew uh, chapter six. And so, I, I want to look at this passage. And if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and, and turn there or follow along on the screens. This is found in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous sermon Jesus ever gave. Here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, now here's what Jesus is not saying, okay? He's not saying it's wrong to have a a savings account or a college fund or uh, uh, an emergency fund or retirement account. No, those are important. And he's not saying, you know, you can't buy a car or clothes or a phone. It's okay to have some things. What he's saying is don't get obsessed with having more. Don't allow spending or savings to become number one. Don't allow greed to poison your heart. And the reason he gives here is because it's all going to go away. All your stuff is going to break or rust and leave you disappointed. Instead, look at what he says. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, be generous toward God and other people, and God will bless, and that will last forever. And then look at what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says there's a direct connection between your treasure and your heart, between your money and your heart. He says, he says your heart will always follow your your, your treasure. And that's why we we, we feel so attached uh, to things. I'll give you an example. I bought a car uh, recently. My daughter graduated college and needed a car, so I gave her my old one, and I went and bought a new car. It wasn't wasn't really a new car. It was a a 2012, but, I mean, it's like new. It was in in great, great uh, shape. But three days after I got it, guess what happened? Yeah, I'm sitting at a red light, and a guy rear-ended me. Yeah, and not only that, he took off. Now, how do you think I reacted uh, to that? Uh, you know, do you think I was like, oh, no big deal. No, it's just a car. I've Only had it three days, you know. No, 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 no. I had a meltdown. I mean, I'm thinking about getting rebaptized next week. It was bad. Because when I bought that car, okay, like Jesus said, I put a piece of my heart into it. I, had a, I, I felt attached to it. You know, the stock market works the same way. You buy some stock, right? And uh, you, put some, you put a piece of your heart into it. And so what do you do? Every afternoon you check on it, right? See how it's doing. Uh, because you're attached to it. And so Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart is, if you want to know what your heart is really attached to, if you want to check for greed poisoning, it's not how you feel. You know, you might feel sorry for other people in need, but those are emotions that go up and down. Don't, don't trust those. Instead, Jesus says, look at the money trail. Look at your bank account. Look at your bank statement. Look at your credit card statement. Track your spending. What's number one? What's the, what's the largest check you write each month? Because wherever your money goes, your heart follows and this is not just a diagnostic tool, okay? Jesus gives this as a solution. He says, if there's greed in your heart, okay here's what you need to do. you need to move you need to move the money because when you move the money, your, your heart follows. Jesus says, you can bait your heart by moving your money away from greed and closer to God because your heart will follow. And that's why Jesus talks about, you know, money. It's not because he's super interested in your finances. It's not because he desperately needs your money. I mean, he if he wanted to, couldn't he? I mean, he could take all our money right now. No. The reason he's so interested is because he wants your heart. Jesus says money is the number one competitor for your heart. Doesn't matter if you're a saver or a spender. Greed poisoning is the chief competitor the life that Jesus wants for you. And Jesus continues. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And it sounds like he's changing subjects here and going into different, uh, going into something else. But no, no, no. He's continuing the same point. You know, think about it. Our our eyes direct our body. So I look over here. My body goes this way. You know, I look over here. My body goes uh, this way. And, And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, or this could also be translated generous your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, this could be translated envious or greedy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, just like if you move your eyes, your body will follow, you move your money, your heart, and the rest of your life will follow. If you're generous in this one area of life, Jesus says your whole life is gonna be generous, and if you hold it back, okay, the rest of your life will be greedy as well. And we know this to be true. This really isn't new. This is, this is why money is one of the top causes of divorce in our country. I mean, why do little green pieces, pieces of paper with pictures of dead presidents on them lead to so many divorces in marriage? It's because when you're greedy in this one area, you, you, you're greedy toward each other in every other area, and it just wrecks the relationship. I mean, have you ever met a generous person who wasn't happy? Probably not, because they're generous in this one area. They're free from greed, and they're generous in every other area of life. And if you've met a greedy person, you know, they're probably not happy, because their heart has this area of darkness, and it just flows through the rest of, of their life. And so here's what Jesus says to us. The best treatment for greed, Poisoning is generosity. The best treatment for greed poisoning is generosity, and the rest of your life will follow. Now, now, some of you are probably thinking to yourself, all right, Ben, but didn't River Glen just give this huge offering away to help people in need? Didn't we just give a very generous offering of $117,000 away to you know, help other people? Yeah, we did, and, 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 it, and it was amazing, and I'm just so proud of our, of our church, and I just can't wait. I think God's gonna use that in some great ways to change the lives of, of other people. That's, that's awesome. I think, that, I think that's wonderful. But I also know that generosity is like a muscle, just like our heart is a muscle. And when you exercise a muscle, it gets stronger and healthier. But if you don't exercise, a muscle shrinks and it gets weak. And so I want us to look forward to the rest of the year. And I want to give you three generosity challenges to help strengthen and protect our hearts. And I want to give these to you in the form of three dares. And so I'm not just daring you, okay? And I'm not just double daring you. I'm going to triple dog dare you today, all right? To practice some generosity for the rest of the year. Here's dare number 1. Dare number 1. I dare you to provide food items for our local food pantry this Thanksgiving. I don't know if you know this that that uh, Thanksgiving is a is a time when food pantries really need generosity. Our Waukesha Food Pantry feeds over 1,500 families for Thanksgiving. And we learned that this year, they especially need side items. We put a list of those in your program. You can bring these items with you the next two weekends. We're going to have a food pantry van outside our our main entrance. And uh, we would love to see that thing just get filled up with all these items. That's the first dare to help those in need this Thanksgiving. Here's dare number two. I double dare you to generously support our Christmas toy and blanket drive. Every year we partner with the Christmas Clearing Council to provide items for low-income families and foster parents so they can give their children gifts for Christmas. And so we'd love for you to bring new toys and blankets unwrapped beginning the first weekend of December. We're going to have a a tree out in the lobby where you can put those underneath. And through your generosity, you can bring life to a child's Christmas. And in doing so, it's going to bring life to your Christmas. And then dare number three, and of course the uh, triple dog dare, is the most difficult one. And so here it is. I triple dog dare you to give 10% of your income away the rest of the year. Now, I know that may sound different because most people don't think in terms of the percentage of their income that they give away. Most people practice what I call pocket generosity. And here's how this works. You hear about a need, you see a need, and you think to yourself, okay, what do I have on me? What do I have in my pocket? And sometimes pocket generosity is a great thing to do. But if you want to experience real heart change, if you want to break the power and control of greed in your life. You move from pocket generosity to planned generosity. You move from pocket generosity to percentage generosity. And and for some of you, that's your next step. That's why why if you read the scriptures, it's always challenging us for the tithe. The word tithe is a mathematical term that means a 10th. Not 3%, not 5%, not 7%, it means 10%. You give back 10% to God through your local church. And for some of you, this is going to be new, a new part of following Jesus. You've never done this before. So take the next eight weeks and say, I'm going to try it. I'm going to trust God with this. I'm going to give 10% away. Others of you, maybe you've been doing this for a while, why not say, well, I'm going to bump it up and go from, you know, maybe 10 to 12% or 12 to 15%. Try it, I dare you, and see if, if God doesn't bless you. My experience... He always does. Earlier uh, this year, we had a series called The Blessed Life, and many of you took the tithing challenge. You stepped up, uh, stepped out in faith, and uh, filled out one of the tithing uh, commitment cards. And uh, recently, I asked a room full of people, River Glen people, what blessings have you experienced from being generous? And it surprised me how many people mentioned the tithing challenge and how God blessed them. And I, I asked them to write it down, and uh, I want to read a few of the responses to you from people who've taken the tithing challenge. Somebody wrote, "Money has less grip on my heart and life; doesn't control my life as much. I'm generous in more areas. Listen to this: I worry less. Isn't that interesting? You know, you you you, you you're more generous and you worry less. We are taken care of in so many ways. Isn't it fascinating how generosity just helps us overcome fear?" And greed in our lives. Another person wrote When Ben gave the challenge to trust God and take the three month challenge, we were in the midst of our own challenge, a job transition. We made a a family commitment to do it God's way and be obedient to the tithe. We claimed Isaiah 45. Let's just say that God made the rough places smooth and revealed treasure in darkness. He is faithful. God provided. Somebody else wrote I felt a strong call to tithe when Ben issued the challenge earlier this year. We were previously giving, but not at that level. We have experienced better relationships and a stronger connection to God. And then one more, responded to the tithe challenge. First, every dollar that we have given has been matched, and then some, by God in the form of bonuses and raises. Second, great family and health for all of them. I can can read more of these. I've got a whole stack of them. And I'm not saying, okay, that you know, you do this and God's gonna give you a big sum of money or a new job. Uh, 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 God will bless you. God promises to bless you. And, and it may be financial or maybe it'll be relational or spiritual or emotional or maybe it comes in the next life. But I don't want you to do this just to get a blessing in return. I want you to do this for your heart because the best treatment for greed poisoning is generosity, and the best and most satisfying way to live is not as a spender or saver, but rather as a giver, and here's another reason, those of you that are parents, think about your kids, I've got three kids, and one reason why I give at least 10% away is because my kids are watching me, they live with me, they know if I'm a saver or spender or, or giver, and one of the best gifts we can give to our kids is an example of financial peace. Our world is so messed up financially. Let's help protect our kids' hearts from greed poisoning by showing them how to honor God with their uh, finances. Well, the, the, the tithing challenge in March helped so many people experience blessings and growth and freedom in their heart that I decided to offer it again. Today There's a card. It looks like this. It's blue and it's in the chair back in front of you. Would you go ahead and take that out just for a moment? And and whether or not you do this, I'd like you to just take it out so I can go over it with you. It says an eight-week tithe challenge on the front. And if you fill this card out and check the box for a new tither or continuing tither or uh returning tither and put it in the offering bag a little bit later in, in our service, I'm gonna send you, uh, and you put your email address on there, I'm gonna send you an email each week for the next eight weeks, that takes us through the end of the year, to encourage you, okay? And then after those eight weeks, if you feel like God has not blessed you, money back guarantee, you contact our bookkeeper and he will return any recorded gifts Back to you, no questions asked. And the reason we do this, if you look on the on the, on the back of the card, there's a scripture where, 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 where God says, test me in this. God invites you to test him. And God promises uh, to bless. And we just have that much confidence in God and uh, in his, his promises. Now let me take us back to the story that uh, we talked about earlier. This woman, you know, breaks a bottle of perfume and she just pours it on Jesus from head to toe. And, and look at how Jesus responds. He says, "She has done a beautiful thing for me in a very real way. She gives everything she has to Jesus, not knowing that very soon he will give everything he has for her." And so she breaks the bottle as a statement. From her heart, it's an outpouring, not just of worldly wealth, but of a a, a heart overflowing with love for Jesus. See, some of us think I've got to save more to have more, or I've got to spend more to have more. But this woman's example holds the real truth. Those that give generously, trusting God, they not only have more, they will have more than they ever imagined God will make sure of it. He's just that generous of a God. Each weekend we we, we pause uh, to remember God's love and generosity through communion. How God gave the most generous gift in all of history by sending Jesus into the world. And then Jesus continued the generosity by going to the cross as a sacrifice for all of our sins so that we could live now and forever. The bread represents Christ's body. The juice represents Christ's blood. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to pass the communion trays. And if this is new to you and you want to take a pass on it, that's fine. But I want you to know our communion is open to anyone who receives the gift of of Jesus. So let's think about God's love and generosity. Let's allow that to just wash over our hearts as we share communion. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful that we don't have to live, you know, with poison in our hearts. Because of your love and because of the gift of Jesus in our life. We can break the power of greed and experience real freedom and, and, and life. God, thank you uh, for this insightful teaching from Jesus that the way to more is not by storing up treasures on earth, but, but rather storing up treasures in heaven through investing more in your kingdom. But God, I know this is a, a difficult area. Many of us feel nervous about this. And so I ask you to help us to trust you. And and to trust your promises so that we overcome greed and develop generous hearts. God, thank you for setting an amazing example by sending Jesus into this world as a gift. As a sacrifice for all our sins. Which is by far the greatest act of love and generosity in all of history. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.